he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bolotified, the one and only podcast about event, entertainment, and engagement, and all things events. I am Anthony Bolotta, and I'm here as I am every week with Alex Ipostelidis, my one and only Bolotified. What's up? Hey, I don't think I'm the one and only. You are during these broadcasts. Okay. Rude. I get I get like a 90 minute window a window being really special, right? This is our time. This oh, is our time. Our yes. time. There's yeah. a song in that. There is. I think somebody yes. already wrote it though. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. So it's been a crazy week. Yes. You've yes. been finding yourself in uh, the in a sea of proposals and contracts going yes. out for some of our clients uh and are you uh finding are you are you harried are you feeling like the tempo is good or what's going on i have to be honest it, it, i'd say it's a week by week but it's not it's a day by day thing and honestly sometimes it's an hour by hour thing monday and tuesday i felt very harried today was calmer because when you get a lot of the prep work done and then it's just waiting for some answers and getting that out. Right. Um, so we'll see what tomorrow brings. Um, right as we were leaving, we got a note. Did so-and-so um, tell you that this is going to contract? I said, nope. So we'll do that tomorrow because it's coming up in a couple of weeks. Great. I'm glad to hear it. I'm glad to uh, know that uh, you and Angelo are keeping busy getting the proposals out and doing it in a way that um, is favorable to the clients. One of the things that we're learning in in school, we have to we have books, obviously that we have to read. We have books. Do you know what books are? <laughs> I read one once. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we have some readings that we have to do, and I'm reading one now called The Experiential Economy, and it's um, really all about the ability to make money on providing the experience, and you're charging for it. So it's not about giving the experience away for free. And uh, it's very interesting, the perspective. Of course, being the, uh, you know, the guy who questions everything, I could only think <laughs> as I was getting through this book, you know, yes, it's important to engage people with experience and to, and to give people that. And, it, and we see it all around us if we look at it, if we really observe. But, but I couldn't help but think, but if we are immersed in these experiences by everyone in everything that we do in everything that we buy, we will become sick of it. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the point of the book is that you do differentiate your business and you do make the products that you sell. If you are a product based business more valuable and more popular if you add the experiential to it. The book says that you could literally apply the theory of an experiential economy to any business. You know, you can take any business and you could make it more of an experience and you can do something that will delight and amaze your customers in an unexpected way. Um, now, that's where it begins. But the point of that is you're actually buying a membership. So like, you know, like if you were a dry cleaner, you might offer a membership, you know, you spend a hundred dollars or you, you pay a hundred dollar year membership and you get this off your cleaning and you get these benefits uh, and uh, your, your, the fragrance of your dry cleaner cleaning when you rip that bag off is like nothing you've ever smelled before. I mean, it's just really delightful. And, you know, those kinds of things that talk to the senses and really bring in the customer. And it's really important because it's what makes us stop in our shoes, right? Mm -hmm. If you think yeah. about it, right? 
And that's what we have to accomplish in that sort of experiential economy model. You know, we want people to take notice, we want to touch their senses, and we want to give them something that's so memorable that they can't forget it. And they keep coming back and they buy the products associated. If you think of a concert, it's that same kind of um, idea, if you will. You go to a concert, you love an artist, right? And uh, you buy the merchandise and you wear it. You become a, a fan of the fan club and you know you become you become notified of everything that that artist is doing and then that artist suddenly has a website full of merchandise that you can buy you know it's just the 360 mm -hmm. disney does it really well yes obviously. they do yes they do uh, the 360 approach although the book does say that they fail to do it in their retail stores which have gone belly up there are a few i think but a, a lot of the disney stores have, are closed or they're gone really yeah and the the observation there is that they really didn't create and they didn't in their stores they didn't create a disney experience you came and you bought stuff you left you could buy tickets for the park but there was no experience in doing that you know i, I think if they had worked a little harder in creating that they would have had a more successful model. Uh, interesting though, isn't it? It is. I'm going to have to talk to my friend, very dear friend, who is a manager for the Disney stores in San Diego. Um, would love to get her take on what's, what's going on. Mm. And I'd love for us to think about how we might apply it to our own business. Mm -hmm. I mean, not necessarily, um, who knows, but not necessarily a club-based thing. But how can we um, engage people and delight them in ways? And it could be humor. It could be our answering, our voicemail. It could be uh, the notification they get when they fill out our form, you know? Um, and maybe that could be something that's more engaging and musical. And, you know, that's the stuff that we could be thinking about how we create that really we make people we we delight people and so they just want to do business with us yeah jazzy little thank you after an event something like that something that's unexpected exactly you know because exactly. i you and i talk about this we both we want to work with people who are nice who are fun who are kind and when you make somebody smile and you make them laugh they're more likely to come back and that's what we're doing. I mean, not not literally, we're not on in this business to make people smile and laugh all the time. But our we're in the field in the world of hospitality. And so it really is our responsibility to ensure that the mood is one of delight. And it's it's energized and it's fun. And if you can't infuse that in the planning, then it's hard, I think, to infuse in the event. If you're stodgy about the event, it's going to be mm -hmm. a stodgy event. If you're lighthearted in the planning and you're humorous and you poke fun and you, you're going to have a more lighthearted event. And I think that's what we need to do, right? Yes, to... I agree wholeheartedly. My, my, uh, litmus test is if an audience leaves exhausted you have just wiped them out and not done your job mm -hmm. they should leave wanting more they should leave energized they should leave feeling happy they should have more bounce in their step when they left than when they came mm -hmm. and that's what an experience that delights and amazes will do and you know what it's different depending on where we are in our event. And one in this class that I'm in, Alex, somebody asked me if I talked about engagement on the show. And I said, yeah, we are all, all about engagement, <laughs> but we do talk about other things. Uh, so I wanted to dedicate this show to engagement just uh, for the sake of reiterating what's so important about the engagement process and what we need to do as planners to ensure that people are fully engaged and the things we shouldn't try to do uh, 
and when when we talk about it now, we have more than one audience. We have the virtual and we have the in-person. Yep. And you know what? Some of us are dealing with that in a huge way. Uh, there is still a lot of virtual meeting going on and it will continue to go on. And uh, I think that what's happened is that those of us who are in the live event world have done this virtual thing. Some of us have found new income in doing it and better income perhaps but um we've also found that it's not for everyone because we're live planners and that's what we do and it's not that people don't necessarily have the tools to plan a virtual meeting it's there's very little interest because you don't it's it's so anticlimactic. Mm -hmm. It's just so hard to feel good about what you've done, which is really important if you think about mm -hmm. it, because the work is just as taxing. The value is minimal from a, an audience perspective. And now oh, it seems that from a planning perspective, it's, it's just it wears people down and it's not a source of joy. So I think that what we'll see is people will move into the virtual space and become really, really good at it. And those who prefer to be in the live space will be in the live space, but there will be need for planners to know how to do mm -hmm. both because there will always exist that space where both have to be produced simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, when we think about that, it's overwhelming. So let's look at, for example, what we're about to do, a big meeting with two ballrooms and breakouts and some events and a gala. And if you think about providing that entire event virtually, as well as live, it becomes extremely overwhelming. And part of the issue is we tend to think about those two experiences in the same time and space continuum, but they don't exist mm -hmm. in that same time and space continuum. The live event does and has to follow a course of a schedule and when things are going to happen and things have to happen on time for the event to be successful and for people to get as much out of it as they came for. But the virtual event doesn't need to be on a limited time frame. And I think that's one area where we're getting a little uh, too overwhelmed with this idea of everything having to happen at the same time. We have to remember that the virtual audience is an at-will audience. They will come when they come and you can ask them to be there at a certain time and you can encourage them to be there for say a kickoff of the event, uh, but you have to have something for them if you do. And every time you encourage them to take part in something that's part of a live meeting, you must ensure that it has value for them. Otherwise, they're not going to come. Right. And when they come, they're coming on their own time frame. Some will come at 3 a.m. Some will come in the middle of the afternoon. Some will stay three hours. Some will come for five minutes. Some will hear one of the sessions that are uh, on demand. Some will stay and watch all of them. But when they want to. And what we have to understand about that audience is if you want to control that time and space, you give them a beginning date and an end date and understand that it has to be wider than the conference dates or the live event dates, because when we're consuming the meeting virtually, we're in our own worlds and we have our own things going on, kids and work and marriage mm -hmm. and relationships and errands. And so we can't focus on the virtual like we can in person. So we have to give people 
more time to consume, but we can control that time and say it's going to be available for two weeks or 10 days or a month. And that's when you can access it, right? So that's, go ahead. I was just gonna say, it's something that I think is important too, that if you're, if you're having an, a, virtual, a virtual event where people can access it for a period of time, not just once, you know, they have, they have this time frame. There has to be ways to keep reminding them about the importance and the fun and the experience they're going to have. Otherwise you go, oh, I missed, I didn't do that. Uh, you know what? And forget about it. I, I, I've lost my energy. I don't really care anymore. Bingo. So how do you keep drawing them in? You said it. You have to have, you have to throw out little, uh, let's call them carrots or uh, not even reminders, little uh, motivations, inspirations, little reasons why they need to come win a prize, see a fantastic keynote that nobody gets to see in this way, have a backstage interview with this person just for the virtual audience after the keynote. Uh, you know, you have to entice them, that's the word, with meaningful reasons to come. And that's the experience that you're giving them and the value that you're giving them as well. So you could say you might win a prize or a chance for something or get some extra value somehow in the experience, like a backstage pass or uh, you know, a side meeting with a CEO or a star that just came off, off stage, main stage, those kinds of things. And when you think about that, you have to think about planning those things in advance for that audience, right? Mm -hmm. So those little things need to be built into the plan, but in a different time and space. You can have some things together and quite frankly, it makes sense to try to share some of those experiences live and the virtual audience. There could be something, but not the entire conference. And to your point, you have to almost work harder at the caveat, the carrots for the virtual mm -hmm. audience. And also, you can be selective in what you give them. You can be selective in what it is you want them to experience. And you can curate an audience that way. And you can convert an audience that way by giving them only pieces of what the live experience is. So there's no way they feel like they're getting the live experience by coming on virtually. Now you might say, Alex, you might say to me, well, of course they're not getting the same experience, but that's because we are where we are today. But the kids that are being born today or those that are just mm -hmm. coming into the world of business, they know this digital realm inside out and they're not as worn out by it as we are. So there is an audience waiting. Absolutely. Yeah. They're, they're not, you know, they, they didn't have to learn quickly something new, a new way of, of uh, making a business run and succeeding. It, it just was part of their world. So there's that level of exhaustion isn't there while learning new things is exciting and fun, but when you're, you're trying to juggle it all and maintain the old way and learn the new way and make it all work together, there's a level of exhaustion with that, that, you know, the youngest don't have. And there's a level of exhaustion that we feel spending a, a day in front of a screen mm -hmm. that I don't believe that they feel they're so screen oriented. They go from one screen to another, but, I know that you feel this way. I do. I, you know, I just, there's a point. I don't want to look at a screen. I do not want to see it. And so um, it's fatigue mm -hmm. and we're, we, we have that, but they don't and they won't and they'll consume more online. And also there, we, we came from a space of um, scarcity, sparsity, excuse me, sparsity coming into this pandemic, right? We were like, mm -hmm. we had this and now we have nothing except this virtual thing. And it's second best. It's not perceived that way 
and it won't be perceived that way moving forward. We were forced into it. It'll, it'll be perceived much differently moving forward. And so it's just important to think about it if you want to be in this, in this business, because you don't have to, you don't have to be uh, an expert in virtual meetings, but you do have to know how to execute them and why you want to include that piece. And I, and this to me is a tricky thing. It, you know, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And the younger generations, they're even a little bit shorter. And this is no disrespect or anything. It's the way it's set up. They're moving from one thing to the next very quickly, as you said. How do you keep them present and excited when everything for them is boom, 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 boom? I mean, that is going to be tough. It is going to be tough. We are, we're getting faster. And, you know, I don't think I'm equipped for that. I think that's going to be somebody in a new, and another generation that's ready to deal with that kind of intensity. I mean, we know that we're dealing with um, the fact that our attention spans are shorter than they've ever been. And uh, you have to send your message out seven times till it's seen, you know, till it's really actually seen. And uh, all of these other uh, facts that we know about trying to get people's attention and it's like, we have eight seconds until we lose attention and it's just short. And so we already know that. And we already see where people, here's a very good example of this. People have, are not thinking uh, logistically, strategically in, in terms of time. And they're not realizing that every second counts. And a good example of that is today we did an award show and five videos were produced for this award show. Uh, and each video was a winner video. So there were five winners and the event must end at 1.30. It is a luncheon. And uh, for years I've been doing this event and for years it has ended at 1.30. 30, maybe 131. Today it was 132, but never 135 or 140, <laughs> you know? And uh, so today we did a timing and uh, when we got to the winner section of the script, as many other things happened, there were five awards and it took four minutes to hand out one award. So that means five awards took 20 minutes, which was fine today. But next month, we'll do this program somewhere else where there will be, I think, 10 winners. So 10 times four is 40 minutes. We don't have 40 minutes in the mm -hmm. program. So we have to start thinking about how every second counts. And this is live. When you're virtual, it's, you're even more distracted. So, yeah. we, you know, so I can't. I'm just assuming it's going to be messaging everywhere and you have to take in 10 things at once or you're screwed basically <laughs> because, you know, I see it happening. Although I do see there, are, I do see most, this is what I see most missing things because the face is in the phone. I see that a lot. Now, are you still seeing it live? I know I see it a lot too, but one of the things I was going to say is the the uh, uh, the thing about live versus virtual is if you're live, and maybe it's more our generation, Anthony. But if you're live and you're watching something, there's a little shame factor going on. I'm I'm less likely to do this because I know it's rude. You're talking about being in an audience and looking at your phone, mm -hmm. and I'm talking about being out in the world and looking at your phone. You know what I'm saying? Mm, yeah. Being on a city bus and having your face glued. It's an, it's an interesting thing. They're not taking in what's around them. They don't know where they are. They're engrossed in their phone. So they're not 
smarter or faster or taking in more information, they're losing information. But the, the screen is more important than the physical world. I That's saw somebody scary. cross the street the other day against his light, just walking. He was walking on the sidewalk, never looked up with his phone. He's very lucky I saw him. And you know what? I can't help but think that in his mind, he thought, okay, I'm about to cross the street. So there's a little bit of arrogance arrogance in that. <laughs> You'll have it. to stop. <laughs> okay. Um, you know what? We, the, there are some specific uses where I think virtual will continue on. And one of them is training. Mm -hmm. uh, I think all those aspects of a meeting uh, the breakout sessions, for example, I see those being recorded for consumption online, on-demand consumption. Uh, the technical aspects of a program where people could be credentialed, I see that. That's another source of revenue. Mm -hmm. Think of how many people don't become credentialed because they don't attend something where they can be. And making that available online is going to add revenue to the bottom line. Uh, also, you know, a keynote speech should always be shared. Uh, the key messages of a meeting or an event should always be shared. And then in terms of the entertainment, unless you've got an offering with uh, a specific component for the virtual audience, it's not smart to try to include them in the entertainment that's live. It's better to give them their own mm -hmm. experiences rather than to try to include them in a live celebration. Now, if you have a celebrity, if you have a, a, a headliner on the stage and you get an agreement that you can stream the concert to a closed circuit audience, uh, then yes, you might want to do that. You want to be family friendly. Yes. But yes, you, you, you could possibly do that because there's value in it for the mm -hmm. people at home and they'll tune in. But the last thing we want to do is make them feel like they're watching an audience doing nothing except every once in a while get an award. You don't even want to be in the audience when the award is being given out if it's not you. So what makes anybody think that you're going to want to do it sitting at home? So it does not make sense to make people sit through that. And even if this is a corporate event, my suggestion is if they're not there, they don't need to be part of the award event. Because A, it kind of cheapens it for the live because now you're making a concession and B, it's never going to be the same. Right. You do something different for those people. It's just, and you don't make them sit through it and, and watch others get awards. If it's the only way to do it, like it was in 2020, and those, we did some virtual award shows, but they were completely virtual. They weren't fabulous because, you know, it was, we were limited as to what we could do for them. Uh, but, but they were acknowledged and I'm sure they got checks. Uh, but we could never do that if we tried to include a virtual audience in a live award show and make them feel as special. They never will. Yeah. So that's not a good thing to try to do virtually. So it's really about what works logistically and what makes sense. And how. let's consider how we feel in the equation as well. Let's think about ourselves being in the virtual audience and what things are important to us. And then also what things are going to give value to our clients or to our employers in planning their meeting. Do you also believe that, uh, you know, we have VR coming, we're going to see it and we're going to see more in video enhancements and 
all of those things and tools much I see greater tools mm-hmm. coming into play for the virtual engagement. And that'll be fun. I mean, because, you know, when you're immersed in VR, it's easier to lose yourself in the experience. And to me, it's harder to be distracted. When you're in a virtual reality, when you're in, when you're really immersed, like if you go and you do where they put the headset on, right. And you're totally in that. Right. So once you can start making the virtual world more experiential, more 3d, more interactive and more lifelike, you know, so that you are immersed, you are excited. You're glad to be there. Then again, you're less likely to pick this up, holding up the phone and start, doing things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I Give agree. them a reason to not want to be distracted. That's exactly what it's about. And don't expect them to give you hours and upon upon hours at a time. Remember, Mm-mm. we have to be brief and our attention spans are shortening. So even a keynote speech, I think 20 minutes is tops. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly, we, we were looking at an hour at one point. We're not that audience anymore. Uh, and we have to be very prudent with our time. I, I think, you know, even, you know, we're theater people. So Alex and I, so we come from a world in which every second of a show on a stage is accounted for mm-hmm. every movement, every cue that's called every light that's lit everything is accounted for every second of the show and that's sort of what we aspire to in the world of events is to make it feel like an, a theatrical experience from the minute they walk in to the minute they leave that should always be the goal mm-hmm where nothing stands out so much that it distracts you from everything. That's when you know it's a good play. When everything fits and it's afterwards, you went that little hand gesture or that lighting effect or that gobo, whatever it is, you don't necessarily, you might go, oh, that's pretty, but you don't focus so hard. So it's done its job when it's helped further the story, not distract from it. Mm-hmm. And that involves everybody. So I I feel that in this world of meetings, we cheat ourselves and we're doing it more and more, even with the live world, in that it's becoming a bit too informal. And uh, for example, today, uh, we had people that wouldn't stay backstage for their cues and we had to have somebody go get them in the audience to come up at the appropriate times. And we completely understand that there should be sort of a balance of being able to enjoy, but when you have duties on stage, you have to balance those out. Mm -hmm. But for me, that just shows a lack of decorum and it just doesn't, and it also slows things down. And that's, what bothers me the most. It's those seconds that are lost that don't have to be lost because when we put a script together for an award show, we are focused on tightening that script so much, which is a term that we use in the theater. You know, you tighten it up and you Mm -hmm. make it really tight and work really well and everything happens right on the button. You tighten it up but we don't do that in our world. We're not, not everybody is tightening up their events. And that's what we have to get to because every second does count. And we spent two days in Disney last week. Uh, it was D'Angelo's birthday and we went for two days. They provide the experience, right? But when the experience doesn't come to fruition, the way that your audience expects it to, it's important to acknowledge that and to make amends in some way. And I feel that 
I'm going to get a lot of controversy for this because I love, I love Disney. Uh, I mean, who, who cannot be so impressed with what Amazing. Walt Disney created, right? And his family and all of the shareholders, all of the boards, nonetheless. Uh, but there were gaps and they weren't necessarily gaps due to not enough staff it didn't seem that way there were plenty of staff it was protocol and for example we got to the front of a line for a ride and it broke down so in my mind for the happiest place on earth the protocol should be hi friends we're so sorry this ride broke down. Stay right where you are in line. We're going to pass out a ticket and you can go to any other ride in the Magic Kingdom and get right to the front of the line in the next three hours, you know, so that everybody's in crowd. Mm -hmm. That would be a way to say we value the fact that you just waited in line for, for nothing. Okay, but... We went on and made it work. The second time that happened, I was done. <laughs> and I had to walk away from the group because I was so done. Because we had left the park and came back specifically for a reservation for this one particular ride. And I, here's what the difference was, though. Because we had a reservation, they gave us another reservation. And the only reason why I was so upset is because we were leaving the next day and our, and we, it was already six or seven o'clock in the evening. So we had to hope that the ride would reopen before the park closed a few hours later. Otherwise we wouldn't get on the ride. Luckily it did, but that was the issue. It was like, you know, now we might not even be able to get on this way. It was just so, so disappointing you know, and then you see that the prices are just going up and there was no, there was no fast pass, but we really did not wait long in line in any line, really. The longest line we waited in was the ride that broke down, probably, if I think about it, because none of the lines were really that long. Uh, and the experience on a whole, the food seems better, actually. Oh, good. And we did decide that more people does not make, make Disneyland better. No. More people does not make Disneyland better. No. But there was sort of, I don't know, there was a little bit of the magic missing. No parade, no, you know. No parade? Show, no light show. No, they did the fireworks, but no parade. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting because people congregate for the fireworks just like they would for a parade. Mm -hmm. So it's really not solving anything by not having one, unless maybe they just don't have, maybe it's just an expense that they can't afford right now because okay. of the cuts that they have to make. Uh, what was nice is that the characters were out. This, uh, Mickey was out and- Mickey. Yeah. Uh, so the characters were out and that was, that was a nice addition and there was entertainment out. There were uh, vocalists on the street and the shows, some of the shows were going. Uh, but I think that we're in a different, we're moving into a different reality and even Disney has work to do on their experience. When we got to the park, they fingered through every compartment of my bag. I felt like I was going to prison, quite honestly. And they were set up with so many guards. And I have this CBD container with um, like body rub for my legs that they took. I was like, really? I, I just couldn't believe how harassed I felt just trying to get into the park. And I get that they want us to have a safe, safe time there. And I want to have a safe time there. But I don't want to feel like I've just been stripped and had a fist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you don't want to feel um, like you're in trouble before you've done anything wrong. It's awful. And they literally, I'm not even kidding. A couple of the guards, not everyone, I fingered through everything, like with their fingers. I was like, Dude, like, it's your house. Doo -doo, ba -ba
let's talk about the importance of knowing your audience because that is key. It's hard to do when you're Disney because everybody's your audience. <laughs> you figured it out, apparently. Uh, it's so key to engaging people. You cannot even try to start to offer any kind of engagement without knowing who it is you're doing right. it for. It's not like the public theater. It's not like a public concert. It's not based on drawing a fan base. It's very different. So when you're, when you're having an event and you're providing entertainment for an audience, in order for you to entertain them to the nth degree, you have to know who that audience is. They're not buying a ticket for the entertainment unless it is the entertainment mm -hmm. they're buying the ticket for, and that's your event. You're providing it as an extra addition, an extra motivator, uh, or to help fill a theme, or to provide dancing, or to, to give the party a lift. You're providing those things, but if you don't provide them with the understanding of who your audience is, you're not going to hit it out of the ballpark. And what's so, so important to remember there is, Yes, use your best judgment and yes, do look at the things that you appreciate most in art, but also remember that you may not be the client. You may not be the audience. You may not represent the audience. So it's important to think outside of your own likes and dislikes where Right. Any kind of entertainment or engagement is concerned, right? Knowing your audience, knowing the demographics, knowing where they come from, how old they are, uh, what the ratio of um, men to women to transgender. Uh, is it an LGBT, uh, LGBTQ audience? Uh, is it uh, a world audience? Uh, are these older people? Are they younger people? Are they salespeople? Are they uh, operations people? All of these things tell you something about a group. All and of them. It's important. So important. Uh, yes. Are they a conservative group? Are they a little bit more fun and lighthearted? We wouldn't say liberal because some people would be offended by that term. And yet it still may apply where you might be thinking liberal means fun, mm -hmm. right? So we say, are they fun? Are they lighthearted? Do they like to have a good time? Um, those are the things that we have to know about an audience because that all informs who they are and what we can select in this wide, wide world of options that would really speak to them and get their attention. And you have to know what your end goals are for that audience, yeah. right? If it's, what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, you have to know what you want them to walk away with. Exactly. Exactly. Do you want them to feel great when they walk away? Do you want them to have an experience they can't get anywhere else, which would be very smart? Uh, do you want them to feel more connected to other people in your organization or to other people who use the services of your organization? All of those things matter because they speak to what the engagement should offer you as a planner. Do you want to um, create morale and uh, maybe distract people from a bad uh, economy or some bad conditions that you can't necessarily control. So you want to offset that with some good, positive experiences. Uh, all of that is important. You need to know what your end goals are so that you can deliver on the experience and you can find the experience that helps you to deliver on the end result. Makes sense? Makes sense to me. It informs you and then it helps you. So for example, I always say to people, and maybe this is a bit antiquated, you'll have to tell me, <laughs> that we as, as humans, 
we, as we grow, as we mature, we tend to have less fun in our lives and we come, we become, you know, bogged down with all of our responsibilities and all the things we have to do and life can become really quite difficult. So when we think about the best time in our life, we think about the time when we had no responsibilities. And that's usually when we're in high school or college, when our parents were still supporting us, some of us, and uh, it's still life still felt like we had our whole lives ahead of us, and we could just play and have fun and get our work done. And uh, all of that great stuff. There's a different time than when you can procrastinate and it's not a bad thing and you can just be in the moment and not worry about the next thing or the next duty and you can just be happy in the moment. Right. And so when we think about those times, that's when we think about the music that we remember because it was music that was around when we were happy. So for, for some reason, I'm not quite sure why we connect to that music. It's the music we grew up with. So identifying that with an audience is the very first step. And knowing the age range of that audience is the very first step in knowing the type of music that might be most appealing. You can ask the question, and that should always be a question that's asked, but you may not get the answer because people don't necessarily understand the different styles or genres of music. So you might ask them who they listen to rather than what kind of music they like, because that can also inform you. But also, even if you do that, consider the fact that the audience is in a certain age range and you wanna base your selection of music on what would be most familiar to them and what is most familiar and most memorable in a happy way is music when they were young and carefree. So that's just a good sort of, just a little thing to keep in mind as you move forward with your groups and you're trying to plan engagement. It's a good little, what is it, a little key. When and how do you market the virtual piece of the meeting? I think this is so key. It was one of the things we wanted to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Remember, we have to remember that, again, when you're combining a virtual with a live, very easily you can combine the start of that event and you can market the start of that event in very much the same ways that you market the live audience. But you want to continue the marketing of that far beyond for as long as you can beyond the mm -hmm. meeting. And you want to be careful. Here's what I see. Here's what I see happening. There's a tendency to want to put everything forth in the initial offering of an event. Here is your virtual option and here is your live option. I don't know that that's a problem, but it can be if you're putting them up against one another, which is how it might feel. And I think ultimately we always want to make that live option stand out and be the primary option. And I would honestly suggest that you start with the live option only because you're not confusing an audience, number one. Those people who are going to come to the live event, who have always come, say there's history and they've always come to the live event, you invite them, they're going to come back. However, if you say to them, oh, there's this virtual offering up front, then you might have people be on the fence about coming live because now you've given them a second choice. It may not be as good, but it's still an option. Mm -hmm. So you might want to hold back that offering or be really clear about what it doesn't include, whether that's being clear about what it only includes. 
so that you're showing the value of the live event different than you're showing different from the virtual mm -hmm. event and that's tricky because you want to show some uh value to the virtual audience you don't want to cheapen that by making them feel like they're getting only you know half of what's going on so it becomes really tricky in how this has yeah. to play out and my belief is you start with one and then you introduce another and there could be a multitude of reasons for that that you might find people that say well i was going to come live and now they've done this virtual thing and now i'm going to cancel and just go virtual you might have some of that and you might have some people that say well why didn't you tell me there was a virtual option up front but you can always say we developed this virtual option because we heard from our constituents that too many were not able to be here in person so we've decided to accommodate there are ways to work there are ways there are total way. ways and you you can let them know too i mean there are so many wonderful, uh, 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 the word just escaped me. When you go, uh, when you go virtual, I mean, you can save money, you can do this, you can do it from home, you can be present, you can be there with your kids, but there's so many things you're missing. You're missing the energetic connection. You're missing the in-person. You just, you get, I, you, you can't replace what you get from being in front of a person and being in front of them on a screen. It can be enjoyable, but it's not going to be the same. So it's like you said, it's not make them feel like they're, you know, the redheaded stepchild, but also letting them know there's going to be this great thing. But here's here are the reasons to go live right. if you can make it work. And, you know, that would all again be subject to your goals and objectives. If it's your goal to convert an audience, that would first be virtual and then go live, then maybe you do want to throw it out there and make it look like it's not a great offering compared to the live offering. But if you are an association, for example, and you've got hundreds of thousands of members, you may not want them all or need them all to come to your live event, but you want them to have some engagement and experience that becomes monetizable for you as an association mm -hmm. uh, then you might want to think about it in a different way and you might want to curate a virtual audience that's with you for an entire year so that the engagement is always happening i have a sense that that is where we're going with all of the big public facing events we have now I can see that in the future, there'll be more, not just social media engagement, but actual content delivery on a more periodic basis through mm -hmm. these channels. Because essentially, there's so many options out there. We're segmenting the audience. I mean, we're all finding the things. Everything is so personalized. We're finding the things we're we want specifically so it makes sense to curate an audience and then really focus on them and and if you can expand it great but don't try to be 50 things to 50 audiences because it's just not going to work mm -mm. in the in this new realm we're going into people are becoming you know you're finding your your there's so many options you find the things that you're really interested in and you almost have to block everything else out as a human being right so yeah. think about yourself being on the end of all of these invitations and things to do you got to sort of focus on what it is you want and that's what people are going to be doing and so Cultivate that, cultivate the interest, cultivate the audience and focus on that rather than, oh, now that I have this, I'm going to try to do this too, or I'm going to try to do these two things together because it's going to be hard to maintain that and hard to attract those people. You've got to be focused on your audience and you got to know who they are. And how do you balance notifying, engaging energizing, getting people excited about an event, whether it's live or virtual, without inundating. So for example, with TSC, it seemed like 
every day something was coming in and it was a lot of information. And okay, well, I'm really busy. I don't have time to read this right now. Um, and then the next thing you know, it's like, wow, I have missed a lot of things I probably should have been doing or should have been paying attention because it just seemed like it was so much coming at me prior to the event. And the same with the women's con uh, conference that I owned, you know, there were a lot of little calls to action every single day. Um, and I didn't have time to address them all. And so the day of the event, I'm, you know, desperately trying to find, okay, where was this piece of information? Where was this piece of information? So I just feel like we need to find a balance between notifying, informing, educating, exciting without overdoing it. Because if you're already tired before you get to the event because you've been bombarded, you're not going to enjoy the event, whether it's live or virtual. So I'm wondering, were they also the marketing messages that we were getting or were they specific? You coming to the show, here's what to look for. I think it was both. I think it was both. There was a lot, it was just a lot. Well, there's a lot of segmenting too, yeah. right? So you suddenly you find yourself on three different lists from one organization mm -hmm. and you're getting, you know, it's, it's become a little bit overwhelming. You're right. Uh, and what do they do, right? How do you, how do you offer a lot and not inundate with the messaging to make sure that people see it? And by offering a lot, basically you are, in some sense, at least in these shows, helping to provide an audience to your sponsors. So a lot of that is about getting the sponsors in front of you as much as possible. Now, is it effective? No. Do you remember any of the sponsors? No. So it is a bit hard. And they're not doing a satisfactory job of the experience itself. And, and unfortunately, these are people in the business. Hmm. I shouldn't say that. It's, it's a team of people on the profit side and then a team of people who are in the business producing the events that get very little financial support right and have to pull favors and have to be fair in what they invite people to do in their communities and uh also have to put on a good event and it's it's political in nature and it's very hard to do uh but it doesn't i think what we see is that it doesn't really work because it's not working we're not seeing the best there we're not engaging ourselves. Right. Literally. And it's not good enough to put a band on a stage and to have some people roaming around the room. It's just not good enough unless there's something that brings it all together and has some kind of meaning or uh, alludes to some kind of activity or, I mean, there has to be something more in how we engage. And maybe that's it, Alex. Maybe that's what it's about. Multi-level experiences and tiered experiences for audiences that are growing and coming into this world. It can't be superficial. I agree. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. <laughs> So we have been asked to wrap. I hope this was, I hope this was, uh, was a value to anyone listening. We would love to hear about your experiences, providing engaging experiences. We'd love to hear what worked, what didn't work. And we'd love to field your questions. If you have any about how to best engage an audience, whether it's virtual or it is alive, uh, <laughs> You know, budgets, considering budgets and all those things that come into play. Nothing's impossible. It just takes a little creative thinking sometimes. And we have to remember that we have the world at our fingertips. Yeah. You could yep. get almost anything. I mean, we're doing a hologram in two weeks that we just added to a show. So 
there you have it. That's so cool. Possible these days. We hope it will be. So thank you for listening. Uh, this is Anthony and Alex signing off for Blotified. If you like listening to us, please tell your friends, please subscribe. Please go on Apple Podcasts, even if you don't listen to us there, and give us five stars. And then you can go back to listen wherever you like. Stitcher, Spotify. Who cares? Just listen. <laughs> Just listen, please. That's us signing off. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.